0: Hi everyone, this is Alicia Halliday, and this is a June 22nd, 2020 episode of the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, while I hate to focus on the pandemic again, I know it's depressing and exhausting and otherwise frustrating. I do want you to know that scientists are listening and working hard to help you. ASF partnered with UCLA a few weeks ago to help understand how families were receiving services if they were, how they were getting them, and how happy they were with them. The results are currently being analyzed and submitted for review to a publication, but I can tell you that, of course, telehealth came up as a solution. Now, ASF is following up with the Child Neurology Foundation to hear about your opinions, your experiences, and what you like or don't like about telehealth, teleeducation, and telemedicine the good, the bad, the ugly, we want to know. Go to our Facebook page or our home website to learn more about what you need to do to participate. Based on what you've shared with us so far, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., I want to tell you what's going on. And this won't be the last report on this. Your input is helping to shape research priorities and how clinicians are helping families with ASD during this how should I say this without using profanity, this deeply challenging time. In Italy, researchers asked about 500 families with autism about their well-being during the crisis at the worst time in the pandemic over there. It wasn't good. 93.9% reported it was a challenging time. And my question to that was, what about the other 6%? Was it a big party? Anyway, the majority of the issues had to do with what to do with free time with their kids, as well as figuring out structured activities. About 40% had more frequent problem behaviors, and this predicted more disruptive and intense problems. So what did families need? Families needed more health care and medical support, more in-home support and interventions to specifically help during the quarantine. And of course, these needed to be delivered remotely. We are not through this, and we may experience a resurgence. Now, a resurgence is not a second wave. A resurgence means we never really got rid of this to begin with, thanks to states like Florida and Texas, who kind of refused to implement regulations on wearing masks. Now, I know there's been questions about whether or not people with ASD or intellectual disability are more susceptible to COVID or whether it is more lethal, Despite some early reports, scientists still do not know. There was a study out of the State University of New York or SUNY looking at not ASD, but intellectual disability and found no differences in lethality or mortality overall, but an increased 30-day fatality in those between 0 and 17 years of age with an intellectual disability. Why? Well... Who knows? I do know, however, that social distancing and wearing personal protective equipment are challenging for people in the autism community. And that's why the Autism Science Foundation is organizing a webinar with the Children's Specialized Hospital of New Jersey on reducing these challenges. Now, this is important given that schools may be open in the fall, but all kids are going to have to deal with some sort of personal protective equipment and, of course, social distancing protocols. Now, what else have clinicians noticed that needs to be addressed? Well, research is at a standstill, and even more pressing than research is that because of social distancing, many clinical centers have been closed. They're starting to reopen again, but it completely depends on the state. The personal interaction, as in talking to a professional, not through a computer, this has been challenging. Families sometimes need that personal touch. However, other families are reporting that they love telehealth. Traveling to clinical centers for appointments can be sometimes a problem and an inconvenience. Research projects are going to have to find a balance between telehealth and in-person visits in the future. But don't get me wrong, it's not all about research. As pointed out by Mike Amen and Deborah Pearson, two research scientists who work with families every day, They published an editorial where they have observed that the pandemic has caused significant disruptions to the lives of all children, adolescents, and families living in at least the Western world. That's what they observe, but obviously all over the world. At first, people thought it was going to be just a few months and put in substitute and temporary procedures to address social distancing. Now it looks like those are going to have to stay in place for a lot longer than we originally anticipated. In China, children reported increased levels of anxiety and depression, also poor appetite, fatigue, and sleeping problems, irritability, and excessive inattention. These are now all kids, regardless of a diagnostic status. So for those with an ASD diagnosis already struggling with some of these issues, things may be getting worse. And remember, these are kids, kids under the age of 17. It's heartbreaking. Now, we all know that kids with ASD have issues sleeping. Recently, the infant brain imaging study showed that sleep problems start earlier than an autism diagnosis at about 6 to 12 months of age. They seem to be related to how big an area of the brain called the hippocampus got, not the total size, but how it got bigger over time. The hippocampus is involved in storing memories and sometimes is engaged during sleep cycles. So this should be a focus of future study. It also says that sleep and autism spectrum disorder are intertwined developmentally. And if we can alter the trajectory of autism through early behavioral interventions, scientists may also be able to improve sleep in babies, childrens, and adults, even as they grow up. So back to covid What about kids with ASD? Well, as noted by a study out of the University of Miami, a common feature of children with ASD is the need for strict adherence to a routine. Disruptions in this routine have led to major emotional and behavioral upheaval. Many providers have either closed voluntarily or closed because of mandates. This means that these families are receiving fewer therapy hours than they normally would. And let's talk about schools. Many kids with ASD in mainstream schools rely on interventions provided in the educational environment that are not just not getting them anymore or they're getting them differently. Remember, just by the logistics of staying at home, teacher surrogates, usually parents, are being asked to assume supervision. This means the contact with highly trained and experienced teachers and special education professionals and the structure they often were Offered were lost. I know my two girls ended up with me as their teacher, which means they pretty much lost out. Kids with and without autism depended on schools for free lunch programs. And frankly, I think the biggest reason to reopen the schools is to allow these kids to get the food that they need. Hundreds of thousands of kids are not receiving meals during this time. And as we all know, food banks are being overwhelmed. If you can give to a food bank with either food or money, Please do it. Let's talk IEPs. Now, this struck around March. It depends early March, middle March. So I know that many families had completed their IEP for the 2020-2021 school year. Now, others did not. How are families supposed to catch up to any needs they have if teachers and special ed instructors who help write these plans haven't seen them for months? What happens when they come back to school? Is their IEP thrown out the window? Do they get a new one? What happens? And what about regular assessments when they're home? Who is monitoring educational assessments as they relate to an IEP? Many families are instituting programs at home just to get by and survive, but we don't know if they're helping or hurting. Special ed programs are allowed to open now, but I can tell you in states like New Jersey, there was so little guidance given that many programs felt like they had no choice other than to keep closed because they didn't know if they were going to do more harm than good. Added onto this is the impact of a parent who becomes unemployed, family members who've died. I just don't think I need to go there. You can only imagine the impact. So how should we think about going forward? What sorts of procedures should be in place? Doctors Amon and Pearson suggest about thinking of this in waves, stages, or cohorts. Those would be before COVID would be one stage. Certain procedures were in place. Okay. As COVID started, it became a mix of those done before COVID and then during COVID. That's another stage. Eventually, we moved to procedures that were only possible during COVID, where services were, say, delivered remotely exclusively if they were all delivered. That's another stage. Now we need to not just continue with these procedures, but thinking about integrating procedures as communities and states open up and that many may differ based on your state, region or even country. In other words, as we move forward, you can expect a new stage and things to change almost permanently. Whether or not it is like what things were before COVID is anyone's guess. It could be a mix of things you love, like telehealth, that is, if you loved it, and things you hate, like wearing masks. It's important for future studies to include questions on functioning before COVID, or at least track functioning through assessments conducted before COVID, as well as how things have changed. It's important to ensure that major disruptive events, including COVID and everything within COVID, be captured. These events should be exhaustive as possible and how they affected not just the person with ASD, but the entire family. Now, we'll be sharing results of surveys asking the autism community what they need, like, or don't like, but you need to tell us please fill out the survey on telehealth we partnered with the Child Neurology Foundation on. Again, it can be found on our homepage. It's not just informative. It's gonna help clinicians, school systems, and medical professionals figure out what are the high priority areas, what you need, what you like about telehealth and what you don't like because telehealth may be here to stay in one form or another. Thank you for listening this week. Talk to you next week.